Oh yeah. Uh, uh, feels good. Greetings and hi there. This is the Head Speaks Podcast, a proud member of the Headcast family. I am your host, Aaron Moss. Yes, you know what that sound means. Again, I'm interrupting my regularly scheduled program for another special episode. No, I'm not doing a special episode for my daughter again. This week on Head Speaks and next week on Task Force X, we're doing a little interruption, pushing everything back one month uh, because, well, here a couple weeks ago, uh, there was a death. Not death in the family, but there was a death, well, I guess you could say in the family, in the comic book family. Uh, Murphy Anderson passed away October the 22nd, 2015. Uh, you may not have heard of Murphy Anderson, or you may have. Uh, Murphy, Murphy Anderson was a big comic book artist. In fact, if you stay tuned to this episode, you'll find out a little bit about Murphy Anderson and his legacy. Uh, stay tuned, kids. There's trouble. G.I. Joe is there. G.I. Joe and the Masters of the Universe. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Whatever the challenge, they are ready. The Centurions Other visionaries. I am Dungeon Master, your guide in the realm of Dungeons and Dragons. And now, geekin' with head. Now I know. And knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe! This month on Geekin' with Head, we're going to do basically a character profile, the life and times of... Murphy Anderson. Before I get started, let me just say, R.I.P. Mr. Anderson, you're a great artist and you gave us some great books. Who is Murphy Anderson, you may ask? Well, Mr. Anderson was born July the 9th of 1926, and as I stated earlier, passed away October the 22nd, 2015, and he was an American comic book artist known as one of the premier inkers of his era, who worked for companies such as DC Comics for over 50 years, starting in the golden age of comics in the 40s. He worked on such characters as Hawkman, Batgirl, Zantana, and the Spectre. And, of course, Superman. As well as on the Buck Rogers Daily Syndicated newspaper comic strip, Murphy Anderson also contributed for many years to P.S., the Preventive Maintenance Comics magazine of the U.S. Army. A little about his career. And again, all this information I'm pulling is from Wikipedia. So if there's anything wrong, let me know, but you know, don't hold my feet over the coals, because, well, again... I didn't actually know the man personally, unfortunately. It would have been a pleasure to get to know him. Anyways, uh, his career. As I said, he was born in 1926 in Asheville, North Carolina. He entered the comic book industry in 1944, drawing Suicide Smith, Sky Rangers, and Star Pirate features for Fiction House. 
from 1947 to 1949, Anderson was the artist on Buck Rogers comic book series. During the 50s, Anderson worked for several publishers including Pine Comics, St. John Publications, Ziff Davis, DC Comics, and Atlas Comics. That decade's predecessor of Marvel Comics. Anderson succeeded artist and co-creator Carmine Infinado on the superhero feature Captain Comet, beginning with the story of the girl from the Diamond Planet in Strange Adventures 12, which was cover dated September of 1951. Years later, Anderson and writer John Broom created the feature Atomic Nights and Strange Adventures 117. That was in June of 1960, which Anderson later described as his favorite assignment. Anderson and writer Gardner Fox launched the Hawkman series in May of 1946 and introduced the Zantana character in issue 4, which was in November of 1964. Comics historian Les Daniels notated that Hawkman really took off when Murphy Anderson took over. Anderson came into his own with his elegantly ornamental version of the Winged Wonder. The Spectre was revived by Fox and Anderson in Showcase number 60, February 1966. In fact, stay tuned to this episode and you may hear a little more about Showcase number 60. Anyways, it was later given his own series in December of 1967. In the 60s, Anderson proposed that comic pages be drawn at 10 and a half inches rather than the prevailing standard of 12 8 by 18 inches which allowed two pages to be photographed at the same time, and this subsequently became the industry standard. As an inker, Anderson designed the costume of Adam Strange, which in my opinion is a great character, with his former collaborator, penciler, Kurt Swan, who's known for Superman. Uh, the pair's work, artwork on, well, of course, Superman and Action Comics in the 70s came to be called Swanerson by fans. He often hid his initials somewhere within the stories he inked, in the early 1970s, DC assigned Anderson, among other artists, to redraw the heads of Jack Kirby's renditions of Superman and Jimmy Olsen, fearing Kirby's versions were too different from the established images of the characters. In 1973, he established Murphy Anderson Virtual Concepts, which provided color separations and lettering for comic books. As far as awards he received, uh, Anderson's accolades include the 1962 Alley Award for Best Inker, a 1963 Alley for Artists Preferred on Just League of America, 1964 Alleys for the Best Inking Artist and for Best Comic Book Cover, which was Detective Comics 329 with penciler Carmine Infinado, 1965 Alleys for, again, Best Inking Artist and Best Comic Book Cover, which was The Brave and the Bold number 61, as well as for the Best Novel, an Untitled Story in Showcase 55, with writer Gardner Fox. Anderson was later inducted into the Jack Kirby Hall of Fame in 1998 and the Will Eisner Hall of Fame in 1999. In 2013, Anderson was inducted into the Inkwell Awards Joe Sinat Hall of Fame. And then for some notable work from Mr. Anderson, uh, this is all stuff from DC Comics, because again, I'm, I'm a DC kid. He's worked on titles such as Action Comics, Action Comics Weekly as an inker, also, Action Comics is an inker. Adventure Comics is an inker. The Atom, 1 through 11, and the number 13 is an inker. Uh, the Atom and Hawkman. Batman, issue 254, is an inker. The Brave and the Bold, number 28, amongst other ish, uh, issues, is either an inker or as the penciler. DC Comics, Detective Comics, he's done some stories of Elongated Man, Batgirl, Robin, Batman, Jason Bard. The Adam and Hawkman. Uh, 
either inker or the artist, the penciler. Uh, he's worked on The Flash, Green Lantern, Hawkman, Heroes Against Hunger, House of Mystery, House of Secrets, My Greatest Adventure, Mystery in Space, The teen, New Teen Titans, uh, back in 1985 he did an issue, Phantom Stranger, both Volume 1 and Volume 2. He also worked on a little comic called Secret Origins. Uh, my buddy Ryan Daly actually has a podcast, the Secret Origins podcast, and he's already covered this work that he's done. He did Issue 8 with Dollman, Issue 19 with Uncle Sam, and Issue 21 with Black Condor. If you get a chance, go check out Ryan's Secret Origins podcast, because, again, I think it's a great podcast. It's a great comic book. And, again, we got three issues here. It was done by the great Murphy Anderson. Back to some more of his work. He worked on a comic called Showcase. He inked uh, The Atom, I Spy, and it looks like he drew Dr. Fate and then the Spectre within that book. Uh, as I said previously, he worked on the Spectre series as an inker, Strange Adventure, Superboy, Superman, Superman Family, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, Superman the Wedding Album in 1996, he was an inker, Weird Worlds, John Carter Mars 1-3, through three, World's Finest Comics, within that title he did some stuff for Tommy Tomorrow, Super Sons, Superman and Batman, Hawkman. And then he also worked over at Image Comics on a comic called Shadowhawk. He did one, episode, one issue over there. Um, again, I, on the blog page, I'll go ahead and list all this information I just read off to you. Again, it came from Wikipedia, so you can find it there also. But assuming you're listening to my podcast, hopefully you're checking out my blog, I'll post this information over there for you to find. Finally, we move on to his personal life. Uh, Murphy Anderson and his wife of 67 years, Helen, had two daughters. Sophie and Mary, and a son, Murphy III. Uh, Murphy Anderson died in Somerset, New Jersey on October the 22nd, 2015, at the age of 89 of heart failure. Uh, 89 years. He's worked on many wonderful comics. As Kevin Smith over on Hollywood Babylon is wont to say, Mr. Anderson, that is a big bucket of win. Big old bucket, and you, sir, will sorely be missed. In fact, I'm going to take a minute of silence for the late Mr. Anderson. Once again, Mr. Anderson, rest in peace, kind sir. Head Speaks will be back after these important messages. Do you want to hear the origin of Superman or Batman? Of course not. 
You're listening to a geek culture podcast. You know the origins of Superman and Batman. You've always known them. Your unborn grandchildren know the origins of Superman and Batman. But what about Guy Gardner, Blue Beetle, or the Phantom Stranger? What about Firestorm, Sandman, or the Golden Age Fury? Those are just a few of the stories covered in the Secret Origins podcast, a review show dedicated to the Secret Origins comic published by DC in the 1980s. Each episode of the Secret Origins podcast features me, Ryan Daly, and an all-star collection of guest hosts revealing or revisiting the legends of the DC superheroes and villains. And if you're already sick of hearing my voice on this promo, the good news is at least 50% of the talking on the Secret Origins podcast is done by a terrific guest from the podcast and blogging community. So check out the Secret Origins podcast, available on iTunes and at secretoriginspodcast.wordpress.com. And now back to Head Speaks. Dedicated to truth, justice, and peace for all mankind. The world's greatest super friends. This month on Heads Long Box, we're going to talk about showcase number 60, which is starring the Spectre. Cover date is January, February of 1966. But again, to buy this fresh off the newsstands, uh, you had to been around November the 25th of 1965. And at the time, if you had 12 cents, you could have bought it. That's right. A dime and two pennies would have picked up this comic. Editor was Julius Schwartz. The title of this story is The War That Shook the Universe. Writer is Gardner Fox. And the artist, well, of course, Murphy Anderson. This was reprinted in Adventure Comics 491 back in 1982. And then was also in Showcase Presents... The Spectre, the trade paperback from 2012. Also, just before I get started on this little note, uh, this issue contains a one-page text feature entitled Origin of the Spectre. I'm not going to go over that text piece as this is a tribute to Mr. Murphy and he didn't do any drawings on it, so I just want to give you a heads up on that, though. Just for also some notes, this is the Spectre's first Silver Age appearance. The villain in this is Asmodeus, who is a spirit demon, who doesn't look like he has any further appearances, and Paul Nevers, the host of Asmodeus, who again has no further appearances. And again, as always, I'm pulling all this information, and also the synopsis I'm about to read, from Mike's Amazing World of Comics. Uh, Again, links are on my page for this. Check it out. It's a great resource. So now on to said synopsis. Police detective Jim Corrigan investigates the missing fortune of the deceased millionaire Ebenezer Alcott, a 
A psychic is employed to help locate the money, and a seance is held. During the seance, the specter is released from Jim Corgan's body, where he was imprisoned for 20 years. The specter's release is timely, as gangsters try to kill Corrigan with explosives. The specter intervenes by protecting Corrigan. Jim then traces the money to a warehouse where the gangs responsible for the murder attempt are hiding out. With the specter's help, Jim defeats the gang and locates the missing money, which the crooks had stolen. Spectre then begins investigating the cause of his imprisonment inside Corrigan. Before finding an answer, the Spectre is drawn back inside Corrigan. He manages to tip off Jim to a man named Paul Nevers, who is connected to his predicament. Jim tracks down Nevers and discovers the man has been possessed by an astral entity called Asmodeus. The spirit tries to force Jim to shoot Nevers, but fails. Spectre and Asmodeus are then able to enter are then able to leave their hosts. Asmodeus explains that he came to Earth 20 years earlier. Both he and the Spectre were trapped in their host because Earth would not support two astral entities such as them. When Asmodeus' host died, Asmodeus returned to the astral world of Thulaga. This coincided with the seance where Spectre was released. Oddly enough, Asmodeus then obtained a silver bullet, which used against his host, would enable him to roam Earth freely. He then possessed Nevers. The bullet's mere presence on Earth allows both Spectre and Asmodeus to emerge from their host simultaneously. They battle on the spe- astral plane, while Corrigan fights Nevers. Spectre and Asmodeus are evenly matched. When Corrigan defeats Nevers, Spectre is able to triumph over his opponent. Spectre then leaves Asmodeus trapped without power in non-space while he returns to Earth. And that's the end of this issue. And again, this was from Mike's Amazing World of Comics, which is located at dcindexes.com. Now that I've went ahead and read the synopsis, let me go ahead and give you my uh, impressions and my my thoughts on this issue. First of all, let me start off by saying that it was an enjoyable issue. It was very Silver Agey, but it wasn't bad. Uh, My only... Concern, I guess you can say, is that it seemed kind of like, and it's not a bad thing, uh, let me say that, but it seemed like it was two stories in one, uh, though they were linked. Uh, they had the first part with Spectre hunting down and finding the missing jewels, and then there was uh, the second part where he fought Osmodeus. So... Again, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it seems almost kind of like two stories they they combined into one. Well, let's go to actual thoughts about the story and the issue. Uh, the cover we start with, it says, Showcase presents the most exciting comic event of the past 20 years. The triumphant return of The Spectre. This costs 12 cents on the cover. Uh, the cover, it shows, uh, we've got The Spectre in the middle of the page. On the left side, we've got like a cityscape with airplanes shooting at them, kind of King Kong. But more modern day Warcraft instead of, you know, biplanes. On the other side of the page, we have uh, Osmodeus throwing, uh, it looks like balls of fire at him. I'm, I'm assuming from the story it's meteorites. But, uh,. It's an interesting cover. I don't quite know why the jets are firing upon the Spectre. 
Uh, down below it says, the cover blurb is, a combat of colossal chills between a ghostly guardian and a dark demon in a full-length, spectacular The War That Shook the Universe. And then we move on. And I don't normally comment on ads and what such, but this one here, and again, that has nothing to do with Mr. Murphy, who we're here to celebrate. But the first page is probably the inside cover. Uh, there's a little cartoon that says the magic card. And it looks like dad's coming home and the whole family's busy doing things. A couple of kids are figuring out how to use their remote control gimmick, as he calls it. Uh, some of the girls are making costumes for a play. Uh, they got a bunch of records they're listening to. And the little boys, you know, dad's like, boy, we're a collection of records. Where'd you pick them up? Maybe this isn't a dad. Maybe these are friends. I'm not quite sure. Not enough context here. Uh, but look, he's got a like a Letterman sweater on, it looks like. So maybe these are uh, college kids. But, you know, the one guy's like, boy, what a collection of records. Where'd you pick them up? And the other kid's like, easy, same place they got the books, at the library. With this little borrower's card, you can have all the advantages of the library and all the comforts of home. And he's got a public library card. Uh, basically just a, a little preview, not preview, but a little uh, ad campaign, if you will, trying to support the library. Uh, as a, a reading geek myself, I wholeheartedly approve of this. And I, I really love that they have this in here. I'm trying to get people to go to the library, uh, even back at this time and frame. I mean, it's just, it's fantastic. I can't recommend the library enough. Uh, but that's enough about me geeking out about a stupid library. Let's go ahead and go back to this book. Uh, so the, the next page here, it shows the Spectre's title and it shows the specter and osmondeus uh, fighting each other using they're holding on to the tails of a comet and swing them each other like baseball bats we've got the story here by gardner fox art by murphy anderson i'm gonna say and again no, no offense to mr anderson because again this is a fantastic drawn page i love the artwork whoever designed it i again it's the times. Maybe that's it. Because, again, this was in 66, before I was born even. Them battling each other, holding on to tails of comets. Kind of goofy, if you ask me. I know no one did, but it's just kind of silly. I know we're talking about funny books, but I love the way it's drawn. Mr. Anderson, oh, a magician at art. He did a great job on this. I've got no problem with the artwork. It's just what the artwork's been telling. These two cosmic entities standing above, you know, see planets below them, and they're swinging at, uh, meet comets at each other like baseball bats. It's kind of silly. But it is what it is. It's the time. Uh, again, we go into the story. Again, I'm, I'll probably comment on the story some because it's a part of it. But again, we're here for Murphy Anderson. So my main focus is going to be the artwork. And again, this first page... Not a lot of background. The first panel shows a castle, it looks like. In fact, it calls it a treasure castle. A bunch of trees out front, nicely drawn. Uh, nothing fantastic there, but it's very, it gets its point across. Uh, the next page, I mean, there's not a lot of background in these. Uh, we get some facial shots, some long shots. Uh, decent enough artwork on this page. Uh, we go to the second page, we get a little flashback to the Spectre fighting in the World War II. 
And just as the story he's talking about, you know, he's remembering back how he used to stride across the world, a powerful phantom against those who the forces of evil could not survive. And again, very nice. We got the specter. Uh, he's walking through a battle scene. In one hand, he's holding onto a plane while another plane's flying at him. And these are older World War II type planes. Uh, he's got his arm and his cloak held up in front of him, kind of like Dracula would do. Uh, very nicely drawn. Next page, we see him, again, a super giant tall specter uh, falling towards a couple guys shooting at him. They're probably like an inch high compared to him. Uh, yeah, maybe a couple inches high. But they're shooting up at him. He's just falling towards him like he's going to grab him. Uh, again, great artwork. Uh, I don't want to, you know, make it seem like I'm, you know, I'm buttering up a dead guy, but Murphy Anderson did a fantastic job on this art. Uh, then we get back into the actual story where we see the seance going on. Again, that's all in blues because, you know, it's dark. It's the seance, got the light from the bulb, the bulb, the crystal. Uh, again, the artwork we can see, not much color to it, so it's kind of hard to, you know, make a lot of comparisons about it because it's got some all blue on it. But it's a very nicely drawn page. Um, as we go along here, it just kind of, it's kind of again it's a comic book so coincidences like this happen all the time but about the time some guys are going to throw a grenade in the room and kill the spect or kill Jim Corrigan because he's he's captured before apparently he's upset him that exact moment the spell that enabled immobilized the specter released and he was able to come out at the exact same instant so i mean again Comic books are built on coincidence, so I guess I can't complain really about it. Uh, just, again, kind of a little bit of a coincidence. But, again, the artwork on this page is very nice. I like this. Uh, again, I'm gonna, I don't want to keep repeating this, but I'm going to say I, I will let you know when I find something I don't like. But overall, Murphy Anderson did a great job. If you get a chance to read the Showcase 60, The Reappearance of the Spectre, I definitely recommend you uh, checking it down if you can. Again, as I told you earlier, it's been reprinted a couple different places. I would definitely recommend checking it out, if not for the story. But the story is pretty good, too. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, Murphy Anderson's artwork in this is just great. Uh, on the bottom of this next page, page five, it looks like, he captures the grenade and he... he again, smothers it with his... Don't really smother, but he uh, pulls it into his cloak... And he says, you know, time stands still as he flies out and grows gigantic. And he just, instead of flying up, he grows like 50,000 stories tall or something. And so he's above everything. And then he releases his cloak and lets the explosion out. Uh, again, I don't know why he didn't fly up, but this is still serviceable. As far as story-wise. But yeah, very good. I mean, you, you see him standing above the the whole town. And as the Spectre's out just taking care of the grenade, the psychic's able to tell that the, the fortune is hidden in a warehouse on Water Street. And Jim thinks to himself that the added astral power, which appeared when the Spectre gained a new lease on life, enabled Miklos to activate his own paranormal abilities. We then cut to the warehouse where Corgan and friends are accosted 
by a couple of the uh, the crooks, the mob people that is after Jim. You got one he calls Rocks, and then someone else called Tuffy Cooper, who come out and confront him. And apparently they're having a gangland war, but they hate Jim Corrigan more than each other. So while Jim lives, they're going to team up to stop uh, or kill Jim Corrigan. And again, uh, we got the Spectre flying back to the building where Jim was at. And he uses his astral vision to tell him that the seance room is empty. That uh, Jim's gone off with Millicent and Miklos, Miklos to find the money. And he says, that fine, that leaves him, you know, time to go find out who threw the bomb and tried to kill him. And so he's able to track the car back. And again, thanks to coincidence, the very same men that threw the bomb are the ones that's going to gun Jim down. So again, coincidence is really heavy in this story. Again, it's the 60s. Uh, that was a thing at the time, I guess. But... I don't know. I mean, again, I, it's not bad. Again, the artwork's in this is fantastic. I love the artwork in this. It's just the story. Again, it relies a bit on coincidence, which can be, especially if you keep doing it, can be a bit problematic. And then we're in a part two of the story. And again, a bit of a corny line, but again, the 60s, uh, as they start shooting at him, the specter flies up and he's like, he thinks to himself, here's where I've had some lead in my diet. As he, I guess, swallows, he absorbs the bullets the goons are shooting. And in fact, next page, it says, you know, he's swallowing our bullets. What kind of hocus pocus is this? And the guy says he remembers his older brother talking about somebody, somebody like him called the Spectre. Which refers back to his earlier appearances in DC Comics past. And the Spectre opens up his cape and sends the bullets flying back at the goons trying to hit him but apparently he misses and then through the specter's cape Corrigan jumps out and hits rocks one of the main one of the bad guys and then here in part two is where the story fit the, I said the story again this seems like two different stories the first part of the story finishes up where they they find the money and Jim and the Spectre ends up capturing all the, the bad guys. So the Spectre's off to find out what's trapped him in Jim's body for 20 years. So the next couple of pages has him traveling to different, I'm going to call them mystical sites. He goes to the jungles of Ecuador, uh, Galo's Hill, Galo's Hills in Salem, Massachusetts, where witches were once hung, uh, Egypt. The, what is this, Mount Paranus to the ruins of the Great Temple of Apollo where the Delphic Oracle spoke her prophecies, Stonehenge. And again, so I guess it's not so much a completely different story because, I mean, again, the whole Spectre thing's tied in. Plus, he, he's looking down for more of the Parker and Cooper gang. So, let me page, see, we're only 12 pages, 13 pages at this point, so... Well, it seems like it's two stories. There's quite a bit packed into this, and I guess I'm just used to more modern stories where that first half of the story, the first 12 pages, whatever, 10 pages, would take up an issue or two of a modern comic. And don't get me wrong, I'm not dissing modern comics, but just the comparison. Stories in the 60s 
while some of it may have been a little, you know, convoluted or relied on coincidence, you got your story for your buck or for your 15 cents. Uh, anyway, so Jim's looking for the rest of the Cooper gang. Well, the Cooper and uh, Parker gangs. And it looks like he actually steps on a twig and snaps it. And about this time, one of uh, the gang members sneaks up behind Corrigan and puts a gun to his head. They take him to the place. And the Spectre, at least this time, it's not so much a coincidence. He can feel that his, his mortal being is in physical danger. So he immediately appears back where Jim's at. And he takes the goons that had Jim Corrigan, takes them pie in the air, and just drops them. And as they're falling, he goes down to earth and takes out the last of the gang members, except for the one guy that Jim wants to handle. And then he goes back out, and he catches the other two that he threw up in the air before they can hit the ground. A couple of things real quick I'm going to mention right now. And again, I'm not a big Spectre fan, so I could be wrong. But I thought when the Spectre emerged, if you will, he took Jim's place, or he, Jim became the Spectre. But this, they're two separate people. They exist outside of one another. Uh, if anyone's actually listened to this, if you know, if you've read the old Spectre stories, am I, am I wrong? Are they two separate? Is this correct? Are they two separate people? I always thought they were two or one, you know, Jim become the Spectre, not that he was just hosting them. Uh, again, not that it's bad. It's just not what I thought the Spectre was. Again, the artwork, as I've been saying this entire time, it's great artwork. It gets the story across. Uh, then we continue with the story. The Spectre is once again forced back into Jim's body. As he does, he tells him that the, the energy that's causing this to happen is coming from Mountain City from a man named Paul Nevers. So he tells him, you know, check into it and find out what's going on there. And Jim, you know, gives a little, uh, again... A little exposition saying that, you know, since the Spectre has been forced back into his body, Nevers has been robbing and looting like a demon. His powers are super normal, probably because of that strange energy inside his body. So as Jim Nevers is running from a bank that he's robbing, uh, the cop or the security guard is uh, shooting at him, and the bullets are bouncing off of him. And so Jim jumps out and grabs them. And when he does, Nevers hits him with the briefcase and knocks him to the side. And as he confronts Nevers in an alley, he pulls his gun out. And Never just sta- Nevers just stands there like he's daring him to shoot him. But he, he and well, Jim said, you know, he says to himself, well, he normally he would normally never do this. Something inside him is making him try to shoot the guy, but he forces the gun away because he knows that if he does, uh, he's going to doom the specter and unleashing a terrible evil on the world. And as he tosses the gun away, the Spectre and Asmodeus comes out and they start the little cosmic battle. And we go a little background on Asmodeus saying that uh, when his human host died, at the same moment freeing him from the seance, he was going back to the astral world. Uh, basically giving you the rundown I gave you during the synopsis for the story. Again, a little, a little uh, coincidental, but you know happens I guess and then the next several pages again not much on story wise Paul Nevers and Jim Corgan are fighting on earth while the Spectre and Osmodeus are fighting on the astral plane 
And again, some of the pages are kind of silly. Again, I don't know how much of this is uh, Murphy Anderson's doing and how much of this is written. And he's just following written instructions. But again, they're, they're fighting on the cosmic plane using cosmic and astral items to fight each other. Alien wood and strange stone shattering while they fight. And here's a scene from the cover I was talking about where they're in astral space. And they enlarge themselves a million fold and they grab the comet by its tail. And they're swinging each other kind of like baseball bats or whips or something and hitting each other with the, the comets. I, I don't know as if the comet's tail is actually solid enough for them to hang on to. <sighs> Again, I know I'm talking about cosmic beings in a comic book. But that is a little silly for me. And I can accept quite a bit. I mean, so... I did read the X-Men in the 90s. <sighs> but... Other than that little silly little bit, again, then there's a spot here where they're, the specters trapped between the astral fields of the Earth and the Moon. And the astral Earth and Moon are going towards each other to, to run at each other. Again, I don't know how this relates to the actual Earth and Moon. But again, I'm not going to really go much over the story-wise. That's bits of it's kind of silly. But the artwork is beautiful. There is that. And as the Spectre is getting the best of Osmodeus, Jim Corgan is socking Nevers and knocking him out. And when he does that, about that time, the Spectre finally gets the upper hand on Osmodeus, and Osmodeus is weakened. And he's able to capture him. And he floats in non-time and non-space. And Spectre says he's going to remain there for infinity. Powerless to work his evil will on human or spirit being ever again. And he, he wants to know, you know, Spectre's like, oh, before you lose all consciousness, tell me, why did you come here from the first place? And he's like, you'll never know, Spectre, but just in case you should defeat me, as you did, I arranged matters so my master plan could carry on without me. And then Jim, or the Spectre returns back to the Earth, and the Spectre's like, I'll be back in the next issue of Showcase. Don't you dare miss it. Wah, wah, wah. The end. I don't really deserve a wah, wah, wah. But again, overall, the story-wise, it was good. There was parts of it that was a bit coincidental, parts of it that was a little silly. But overall, it was a decent story. Again, back in the 60s, they packed a lot of story and a lot of action in the 22-page stories. Uh, the artwork, though, again, we're talking about Murphy Anderson. As I said previously, he is a master. Um, the world is a sadder place and a much poorer place with his passing. Uh, I don't know as he's done much work in recent history, but the work he's done is magnificent. But I think that's going to do it for this issue of the showcase number 60 with the Spectre. Um, but that's not all for my show. I'm going to play some more ads and hold on, kids. And we'll be back with the final section of Head Speaks. Please hold. Head Speaks will be back after these important messages.
parts their hair Stand for truth and justice And see on land and air Firestorm and Aquaman They make a super fair The Fire and Water Podcast Celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas And Firestorm, the Nuclear Man Available weekly on Aquaman Trine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, here to talk about Firestorm. Along with me is my co-host Rob Kelly, here to talk about some guy that talks to fish. Really? You're going to pull this crap during the promo? Bad enough, I have to put up with your shenanigans every week, but... Dinah Lance is a fighter, and her one-woman war is against the czars of crime, the frightened men who dread the blonde bombshell, otherwise known as Black Canary. Writer Robert Kaniger and artist Carmine Infantino created Black Canary in 1947. She debuted as a masked femme fatale that kind of skirted the law, but pretty quickly she evolved into a civic-minded crime fighter. She has mastered multiple martial arts disciplines and unarmed combat forms. Her canary cry, when properly focused, is powerful enough to punch a hole through a wall. Black Canary has, in one form or another, been part of multiple incarnations of the Justice League, the Justice Society, and Birds of Prey. I freaking fell in love with Black Canary, and I'm proud to podcast about her adventures in comics and television. Flowers and Fishnets, a Black Canary podcast. And now back to Head Speaks. Get set. We're riding on the internet. The internet is really, really great. For porn. I got a fast connection so I don't have to wait. For porn. What? There's always some new site. For porn. I browse all day and night. For porn. It's like I'm surfing at the speed of light. For porn. Internet porn, Roman orgy scenes, internet porn, dominatrix queens, internet porn, girl on girl on girl on girl on girl on guy on sheep. But you're going surfing on the internet. Where is head going? Welcome back. And for this episode of Where's Head Going? It's going to be a short one. I don't know how short. Anyways, Where's Head Going? This week we're going to murphyanderson.com. That's H-T-T-P www.murphyanderson.com. This is, I don't know what it was previously, but currently it's a site that's devoted to Mr. Anderson. It talks a little about his background, some of his work, some of the stuff I've mentioned in this episode. Maybe a little further details. Uh, definitely, if you're interested in learning more about Mr. Anderson, Anderson, I definitely recommend going to murphyanderson.com. Also on Where's Head Going, that's why I kind of paused when I said it was going to be a short one. Uh, not quite as short, because not only do you have Murphy Anderson's site here, not only do you have Head Speaks this week, next week you have Task Force X covering Murphy Anderson, but some of my podcasting uh, pals out there are also doing this. One of the guys, I forget which one it was, uh, possibly Ryan Daly, uh, brought up the idea, well, let's do something, you know, for Murphy Anderson to celebrate his life. So that's why we're doing these podcasts. Uh, As of this recording, 
The I'm going to read off the podcast I have listed. Uh, these aren't the only ones. There will be others, I'm sure, joining us at some point. But these are the ones that we've actually, people have got planned out and what they're doing. Uh, so sit back and listen to me as I talk to some of these other podcasts. And definitely, I recommend checking them out. Uh, so we have the Flowers and Fishnets, a Black Canary podcast. Uh, episode 19 should be covering Murphy Anderson. It's hosted by Ryan Daly with special guest host Chris Franklin from the Supermates podcast. And Ryan's going to be covering The Brave and the Bold, number 61 and 62, which is a Starman and Black Canary team up. Uh, their website's at blackcanaryfan.blogspot.com. Then you have Mr. Professor Allen's comic book reading journal, number five, which is hosted by Professor Allen. He's going to cover the comics that Allen read in October of 2015. And then he's going to talk a little bit about Murphy Anderson comics. Mainly, it looks like Superman 254 and Legion 245 and 246 near the end of his episode. And to check out Professor Allen's podcast, you can go to the relatively geeky podcast.blogspot.com. Then you have Head Speaks episode 17, which is hosted by yours truly, Aaron Head Moss. Uh, again, Aaron, myself, is covering showcase number 60, which is the Spectre, which was drawn by Murphy. Uh, he talks a little bit about Murphy Anderson's website and his work history. And he mentions the website. As always, for Aaron's, that's me, work, you can go to head.headspeaks.com for all of Headspeak stuff. Also, there's Task Force X, episode 16, which is again hosted by myself. There I'll be covering showcase number 34, which is the first appearance of Ray the Adam Palmer, which was inked by Mr. Murphy himself. And again, that's available at taskforcex.headspeaks.com. And again, both of my shows are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and at the previous websites as mentioned. Or you can just go to headspeaks.com for all of them. Uh, and then we have Comic Book Time Machine, episode 77, hosted by Ben Avery and Daniel Butcher and Matt Anderson. But it looks like this episode is only going to be done by Ben Avery. Ben's going to cover the Atomic Knight stories from various Strange Adventure issues from 120 to 160. And again, to get to Ben's comic book time machine, you can go to comicbooktimemachine.com. And the last one I have on my list currently is the Who's Who special for Murphy Anderson. Uh, This is by the Irredeemable Shag and Rob Kelly as always. And what they're going to do is they're going to do a greatest hits collection of the Who's Who entry drawn by Murphy Anderson. Uh, Shag and Rob during their Fire and Water podcasts every so often have their Who's Who's episode where they talk about the DC Comics Who's Who in the DC Universe a great series, great podcast they're going to go through all of the Who's Who's they have and pull out all of Murphy Anderson's work and they're going to showcase it in the special episode which should be out soon if it's not out yet and again the link to their website is at fireandwaterpodcast.blogspot.com I definitely recommend checking out all these shows, showing your support, and again, just give some thanks and praise to Mr. Murphy Anderson, a great artist who lived a full life and did some damn fine artwork. Uh, Our art world, our comic books are a much richer place. Thank you, Mr. Anderson. Uh, But I guess that'll do it for this episode of 
Head Speaks. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and play my outro. Again, I have no real melody this time. Nothing really to finish off. Just, again, send me an email. Let you know what you think. I'm, I'm definitely interested in hearing what you guys think. So send me an email. You can send me an email to head at headspeaks.com. If you want, you can send me an MP3 file with your thoughts, and I'll play that on the air. Uh, but thanks for listening, guys. Until next week when we return to our regular broadcast, this is Aaron Moss signing off. Later, kids. Thank you for listening to another fantastic episode of Head Speaks. Hope you enjoyed it. If so, let me know. Drop me an email to head at headspeaks.com or visit our home at head.headspeaks.com. You can also visit and talk with me on Facebook and Google+, both under Head Speaks. You can also send an MP3 file with your thoughts, and I can play that on the air. And you can also get more of me on my other podcasts. Be sure to listen to Task Force X, where monthly I look at John Ostinger's Suicide Squad and Paul Kuppenberg's Checkmate comics from the 80s and early 90s. Also, over on G.I. Joe, a real American headcast, my podcasting friends Ryan Daly and Kyle Benning, along with myself, are looking at all of the G.I. Joe, a real American hero comics, and related titles from Marvel and IDW. All of my headcasts are available on iTunes and Stitcher, along with the respective blogs and my main page at headspeaks.com. All, all comments, thoughts, and opinions expressed on Head Speaks are owned wholly by the speaker of said comments and do not express the opinions of Head Speaks, unless, of course, I'm the one making the comments. Head Speaks, Task Force X, and G.I. Joe, a Real American Headcast, are all part of the Headcast family. So join us next month for another wonderful episode of Head Speaks. Until then, I'll see you in the funny pages. Good night.